I took my, uh, my guitar this week uh, to get it fixed. This guitar broke last week, unfortunately, and uh, I got it fixed, and it was lovely. And uh, after the obvious chats uh, that you have with the, you know, the guitar technician, um, you know, which is normally a, how's the guitar, how long you had it, all the kind of boring stuff, um, he, he asked the inevitable question, what do you do? At that point, I'm kind of like, yeah, I'm a church minister, wondering how he's going to respond. Now, it's the odd privilege of being a church minister that when you tell people that you are a church minister and that you go to church and you're serious about your Christian faith, they, you may find this too. They often then come up with every connection that they have possibly had in the whole of their lives to church. And this guy was no different. So on Friday, the man fixing my guitar said that he once visited a local church. <laughs> Brilliant, I said. He said it was quite dull. And I went, oh, that's a shame. And then he told me that his uncle once was a Baptist minister. Great, I said. And I'm not sure where I went from there. It was really quite uh, awkward. But the funny thing was, he, he has all of this kind of background of going to church occasionally and so on. So much privilege. He asked, I asked him, yeah, do you go to church now? Oh, no. No. None of that, thank you very much. Now, you may experience the same. People find out you go to church, and, and in some, sort, some kind of odd, self-justifying way, they begin to tell you the kind of links that they've had when they've been to church, who they know who goes to church, what they know, perhaps, about the church. And what these people don't realise is that what they're exposing essentially is their privilege. And their privilege, why? Because you can't live in the United Kingdom and say that you've never ever heard of the name of Jesus. You can't live in, in this great city of London and say, oh, I never had an opportunity to go and hear about the Lord Jesus. The churches are everywhere. It is the privilege of London, as much as it was the privilege, as you see on your sheets there, the privilege of Capernaum. Now, if you cast your eyes back, we haven't been in uh, Matthew's Gospel for a couple of weeks, so I thought we'd just have a look back a bit and kind of root ourselves back in the chapter. Uh, but you see, the privilege of Capernaum, or, or the other Galilean towns mentioned by Jesus, in what are quite condemning verses, uh, if you look back to verse 20 through to verse 24, you see, Jesus says there, woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida. What Jesus is condemning in those Galilean towns is indifference towards him in the light of immense privilege. I mean, Jesus, for example, had made kind of Capernaum his headquarters for a lot of his work. It was for such a significant time of his ministry. These people haven't just heard Jesus teach on one occasion or do one single miracle. He'd been there again and again and again. They'd heard him teach again and again. He'd done numerous miracles right in front of their eyes. But they were stubborn and they were hard-hearted. And Jesus therefore condemns them for their indifference towards him. Tyre and Sidon, if you look back in verse 22, they're mentioned there. They were famed as two cities for their corruption. But Jesus condemns even more the indifference of those with privilege, Capernaum. They'd heard and seen so much of him, they'd had endless opportunity, but their indifference to Jesus, fueled by their arrogance, could not be overlooked by God. Because God is just, 
by his nature. And he measures responsibility according to privilege. Now we live in London. And this is no kind of Sodom and Gomorrah, which is the kind of two other towns that are mentioned there from, from the Old Testament. We're no Tyre and Sidon, but we are every bit, if you like, the Capernaum. So be warned. Be warned of responding to Jesus with just indifference. Because if we do, we will receive just as we deserve, like the people of Capernaum did. So the question is, how will we respond to Jesus? And that's been the question, if you like, underlying the whole of this section of Matthew's Gospel. It will happen in Matthew 11, 12 and 13 through parables in chapter 13. It's full of responses to Jesus. And we saw back right at the beginning of the chapter, look at back at John the Baptist. Even he isn't quite understanding who Jesus is and his response is inappropriate. And for John the Baptist, like so many, this hinges on, under, on understanding who Jesus is. It's a question of Jesus' identity. And who is Jesus? Is he a great man? A great leader, perhaps even a great prophet. Maybe all of those together. Who is Jesus? Of course, the thing is, he's so much more less offensive, isn't it? If he's just one teacher among a number of other options. He's far more palatable to us and maybe to others as well. Uh, if he's just a great leader who maybe have transformed some of the, kind of the laws and the ethics of our kind of history. The problem we have is that Jesus claims to be so much more. He claims to be God's son, God in human flesh. And the many hundreds of miracles he performs, evidenced in secular history, point to the truth of that claim. And you may never have ever thought about this in this way before, but that claim of Jesus that he is God's son, it is the most outrageous claim of all history, isn't it? But it's also the most important question that you will ever answer in your life. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? The people of Capernaum answers essentially with indifference. I don't know the emoji for indifference, but it's something like, you know, whatever. Whatever. But who do you say Jesus is? Do you see how important this is? See, the other questions that you may have or that your friends may have, the red herrings that they throw, happen, throw out, what happened at creation? How can a good God allow suffering? Dinosaurs, cavemen, you know, what about the questions of ultimate exclusive truth? All of those things, though important though they are, they're eclipsed by this question. Who is Jesus? Well, in his kindness, and his great love, he reveals the truth of who he is to us. And we just need to respond. And which is what our passage today points us to. We've seen the warning, if you like, of Capernaum and their indifference. And so I pray as Jesus is revealing himself to us, the prayer should be that we respond appropriately. And so two points. We see the revelation of Jesus in verse 25 to verse 27, and then the rescue or the rest of Jesus in verses 28 through to verse 30. So let's show we the first uh, point on your sheets there, the revelation of Jesus. 
And look down with me if you can at verse, verse 25. Look at the boldness of Jesus' claim there. As he prays to his Father, he calls the creator God of this universe, Father. And in so doing, he is claiming the unique to be the unique person and place of revelation from God. Simply put, if you put it around the other way, uh, if you want to understand God, you've got to look at Jesus. If you want to know more about God, hear from God, you've got to go to Jesus. There's no other way that God has given to reveal himself to us. And as John puts it very famously in John chapter 14, he's the way, the truth, and he gives us the life in, through faith in him. He says no one comes to the Father except through him. Why? Because Jesus isn't just a prophet pointing the way to God. He is God. He's God in human flesh. He is God's son. Come down to, in his love to reveal to us who God is. But look also at the challenging claim in verse 25. He says, you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned and revealed them to little children. What we see here is that God sovereignly chooses to reveal himself to some. But to others, he sovereignly chooses to hide himself. Jesus, in this prayer, shows that God is in total control of who he reveals himself to. And therefore, he is in total control of who understands and trusts him. Now, the really interesting thing about this passage in this little prayer here is, yes, we see God's sovereignty there, but surrounding this verse is the invitation for all to come to Jesus in verse 28. And in the previous verses, towns like Capernaum were choosing to respond to Jesus. They do so in indifference. This is rather huge and it is completely mind-blowing in some ways. And let's just be honest, let's have a little, yeah, tiny bit of humility. None of us fully comprehend, can fully comprehend these two things. Because what we see in just a couple of verses is, firstly, God is utterly sovereign in choosing those who will respond to him, verse 25 and 26. But we also see equally that those who... Um, that we all have a responsibility to respond to Jesus. Now, before we kind of delve into that a little more deeply, uh, these, these kind of two unequivocal truths, that they seem to be opposed to one another. But Jesus does, again and again, hold them in tension. Before we look at that a little bit more deeply, let's look at who God hides himself from and who he reveals himself to. Look down at verse 25 again. You see, uh, you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to the little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. See, God is pleased to hide himself from those who think themselves as wise. Those who think themselves as wise in their arrogance. Jesus isn't condemning intellect. Those of you with a PhD or soon to have one, don't panic. He is condemning the pride that often occurs with intellect. God only reveals himself to those who come to him with a humility and a childlike trust 
willing to ask the questions, basically. Now, I know we've got many uh, kind of young little children running around in the church, and that's a great blessing to us, isn't it? And they're a great joy, but they're also very annoying, aren't they? <laughs> Let's just be honest for one moment. You know, Sam Bradley's nodding, he's got like two. One another one, yeah. It, the, amount of, the amount of questions. Why? Why? Where? What? When? Why? Endlessly, all the time. It goes on. I'm very thankful my boys have grown up a little bit. It's quite good in that way. But let's just be serious. It's not stupidity, you see, that allows us to come to Jesus. It's that childlike humility. In a sense, it's those who are willing to ask the questions. Who want to learn who want to receive from God and hear, uh, see Jesus revealed to them. And maybe that's you, spiritually. And if it is, if you've got questions, then that, that, we love you. That's a, you're the best person here. It'd be great that you come. Let's open up God's word together. Ask every question you possibly can. And if you come with someone today, ask them questions. Let Jesus allow him to reveal himself to you through his word. Which is what we want to pray, I guess, for our friends, our colleagues, our neighbours, isn't it? That they too will come with that childlike humility and ask the questions. What we saw in Jesus' day is it was, it was the religious, it was the intellectual elite that rejected Jesus. They, they didn't have the humility to listen and to learn. And it's really interesting, things haven't changed very much, have they? Look around you and uh, turn on your TVs and uh, look at the news and... You see person after person taking a dig at the Christian faith and Jesus mocking him. And if you're anything like me, it's very easy, isn't it, to, to see these great intellects on TV and think, you know, and in politics and, and feel slightly intimidated, feel slightly threatened. They've got all the brains and they're thinking Jesus is absolute rubbish and so on. I think these, these verses are a great comfort to us, aren't they? Things haven't changed. The same was true in Jesus' day as he stood before them. Now, of course, many great intellects today and down through the ages have understood who Jesus is. But the point here is this. Are you humble enough to come to Jesus and ask the questions? God will open the eyes of those he chooses, but we have a responsibility to come with that childlike trust and find out more. Yes, God is sovereign. But we have a responsibility to come to Jesus. And we see them both here. God's sovereignty and our responsibility. And they are held in tension within these just couple of verses here. Look back at verse 24. And we see what, uh, that when Jesus turns to the people, he says, It's in your hands to repent. As he says, come to Jesus. But in the following verses, when Jesus turns to the Father in prayer, he says, it's in your hands to reveal. We'll see that it's our responsibility to come to Jesus later on in the passage. We have a responsibility to come to him, to turn to him. But it is God's responsibility to reveal himself to us in Jesus. God is sovereign, but we are responsible. So come to Jesus. And that is what we see in the, the last verses of our passage. Just look down with me at verse 28. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. 
So our second point, the rest and the rescue of Jesus. Looking around, I think it's quite clear that a number of us here need a good amount of rest. Me included, I'm sure you're looking and going, gosh, you could do a good sleep, uh, that would be great. We all need it, don't we? We all need good rest, good sleep. Holidays are really important. Times of just getting away from the phone and the emails is helpful, if not essential, for so many of us. Because life is busy. And sometimes being involved in the life of a church family can make things even busier. Add things to the schedule. I was reading uh, this week on this subject and uh, I came across a parody of the nursery rhyme, Mary Had a Little Lamb, uh, that illustrates our busyness. Let me read it to you. Mary had a little lamb, t'was given her to keep, but then it joined the local church and died for a lack of sleep. (laughs) I think most of us, if we are completely honest, we need to slow down. We need to slow down because our lives feel often just out of control. And not always because of work, though we love to blame that more than anything else. Often because we try to keep up with so many so-called friends who we see once a year. Family, church life, the list goes on and on and on. And I'm not picking any one of those individually. All of us need to rest. One of my favourite places is coming up on the screen. It's my place called Trianon Bay. I've been going there every year of my life and I... Family have got a place down there, a tiny little place, and this is my favourite place to rest. I sit on the cliff, I look out and watch the sunset. This is where I rest and recharge. It's lovely. Picture two uh, is coming up, and I think sometimes uh, I take the boys down to the beach. It's just a few, uh, about 100 metres away. We barbecue and watch the sunset. And, uh, no, no phone signal down there. What a joy. No emails just the sea. We all need this kind of thing, don't we? We all need good rest, and good rest is so good for us, and it's so helpful, and we know that to be true. But the rest that Jesus speaks of in verse 28, have a look at it if you can. It is fundamental, and it's foundational to all rest. You see, you go on a holiday, and yes, you can rest, but it it never is what it should really be. How many of you come back from holiday and you go, oh, another three days would have been good? Or you come, away from, come back from holiday, and especially if you've got kids, you go, I need another holiday to get over the holiday. <laughs> it will never provide the ultimate rest you and I need and long for. And that is why I think, and I don't want to sound all slushy here, but verse 28, I think is probably the most beautiful thing you will ever hear. And notice it is a promise to all. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Now, Jesus is speaking to a particular people of his time, and they were weary. They were burdened. The Pharisees and the teachers had made coming to God so difficult. God had given the law to Moses back in Sinai in the Old Testament, but the teachers throughout history had, had, had kind of added to the law. They'd made laws to make keeping the law hopefully more helpful. And then they made extra laws to keep the laws that they made to make the law. And it went on and on and on. They added over 250 extra laws to God's law. And it was just complete overkill. 
and the people were worn out. Nothing they ever did was good enough. They were weary and burdened. And the question, I guess, for us is, though our context is different, are you? Are you wearied? Are you burdened? Are you, like so many people in this life, trying to do stuff, trying to merit yourself before God? And I know you understand the truth of the gospel, that we come empty-handed and Jesus does all, everything for us through his work on the cross and his resurrection. But I think every one of us, if we're really honest, knows that sometimes we try and merit ourselves before God in what we do and what we say. Trying to reach the grade to get yourself into heaven. We do it with God and so many do it in life too. People forever are looking for the next level of kind of satisfaction. And people think, oh, if only I went to the Maldives on holiday rather than Cornwall. Then my life would be complete and I'd be satisfied and content. If only the house was a little bit bigger, if we had a little bit of an extra room, then I'd be happy, then I'd be satisfied. Oh, if we only moved to that area, because they've got those schools. Wow. My life would be complete. If only, if only. Leo, Leo Tolstoy, the, Tolstoy, the great Russian writer and philosopher of the last century, incredibly wealthy man, he spent many of his younger years looking for satisfaction uh, in all the usual men places, if you like. But he was never satisfied, and he wrote in despair. He said, "If you look, perf- uh, if you look for, per- per- sorry, if you look for perfection, he said, you'll never be content." And in the end, Tolstoy did find perfection, and he was content, and he was satisfied because he found it in Christ. He was weary and he was burdened. And there and only there could he begin to find the rest that he was ultimately looking for. You see, first and foremost, as Jesus calls to us here, we have to acknowledge that we are weary and that we are burdened. But how do we receive the rest that Jesus offers here? You see what it says in verse 28? You just come. You just come to Jesus. But be very careful with that, by the way. Because if you're anything like me, you'll come, but you'll come with a little rucksack on. You'll come to Jesus thinking, I'll hide this bit of my life from you. I'll sort that bit out. Don't worry about you, Jesus. But yeah, I'll take care of that. I'll do some stuff and I'll work hard and I'll make sure that I deal with this, but I'll come on my terms keeping those bits of my life out of his control and reach. If you aren't a Christian, can I suggest to you this? Come to Jesus. Find the ultimate rest that you've been looking for all your life. But even if you are a Christian, come to Jesus every day. Every day come to him. And continually we need to hear his call here and come to him Not with a rucksack of stuff that we just want to hold away from him and not allow him to have control over our lives. We come to him empty-handed, stripped bare, if you like, and simply just saying, do what you will with me. My friends, if you are weary and burdened, and only you know how you are, come to Jesus. Come with nothing hidden and take on something. That's the extraordinary thing. Look at verse 29. Take my yoke upon you 
and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. It sounds strange, but if you want to rest in Christ, you've got to take on a burden. Isn't that strange? If you want to rest in Christ, you've got to take on a burden. Uh, now, the yoke that is being used here is an image of a yoke that we've been put around a, a kind of oxen so they could pull a, car, a, a cart or a plough. But also the yoke at that time was used as an image. As you, if you were to take on the teaching of a teacher, you would yoke yourself to them teaching, their teaching, be guided by them, learning from them. And Jesus is using that image to say, if you're willing to be led by him as you come to him, there and only there, as you take on that burden of hearing him speak through his word, there you will find rest. And only there. And so come to Jesus. (coughs) Hold on to nothing. Be guided and taught by him and he will gently and humbly lead you and guide you through his word through the bible the image is this uh, when a young ox needed a bit of training when they were kind of prone to distraction you know going i've never i've no agricultural experience whatsoever so uh, you just bear with me here but you know as they kind of veer off to one way and they're kind of that you're trying to plow in a straight line you'd stick a, a young oxen with an older one a more experienced one just so they could get along the right path. They could learn. And that is why we must come to Jesus. As we hear him speak through his word. And essentially we are being yoked to him. Guided by him. And there his promise says that we will find rest. And Jesus says in verse 30 to finish off. My yoke is easy. And my burden is light. You see, walking through life, trying to find satisfaction on our own, is incredibly hard work, isn't it? It's heavy work. It's burdensome. And I know that is true, personally, but I also know because so many of you have told me. Come to Jesus. Let him lead and love you in this life. And know the ease, the lightness of that yoke of hearing him speak through his word and letting him lead you and love you every step of the way in this life. Because there is where you will find rest, the ultimate rest that you long for. Of course, what we can know now is just a taste of the rest to come for eternity. But the point here is don't miss out. Now, today... We live in a fun and a big, exhausting city, but some of us just need, you know, sometimes just more scones and cream. That's my granny's illustration. But basically, you just sit down and calm down and rest for a bit. Less emails, less busyness. We need to rest. Of course, that's practical. That's sensible. That's wise. But fundamentally, we, we all need the rest that only Jesus can offer. How do we get it? By acknowledging that we are weary and burdened with life. By coming to Jesus, holding nothing back. And thirdly, by taking on the yoke, being willing to be led and loved by Jesus every step of the way to eternal rest in heaven. And Jesus invites us all Every one of us 
And we have a responsibility to respond appropriately. Jesus invites us all. Come to me, he says. Let's pray. Lord God and Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word to us. We thank you for Jesus' call to every one of our lives now. And I pray that afresh, wherever we are in our relationship with you, whether we're just investigating things or whether we've been a Christian for many, many years, may we, holding nothing back, acknowledging that we are weary and burdened, may we come to you afresh, I pray, and take on that yoke, knowing your gentleness and your humility, and knowing that you will love us and lead us every step of the way to heaven. 